Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. Hey everyone, welcome to The Grief Code for this week and great pleasure in introducing my guest, Jessica Kate. How are you, Jessica? I'm amazing. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, what drew me to you is that I love the the stories you do and the and the confidence you bring and like we were talking before we jumped in is it's your ability to really stand in your strength and your power which i think is really attractive is that something that you've had to spend a fair bit of time and energy on actually being in that sort of energy well it acts it actually happened accidentally because of my upbringing which will go into different facets of my life and share because i'm a very open transparent person and that's what allows people to to feel safe to open up and um, learn and grow you know in, in that container that i hold space for them in but um i feel that it actually was a battle in the past for me to step out of my masculine and more into my feminine because of my upbringing and life's adversities uh, subconsciously i had created this this identity of that powerhouse ball busting babe that um needed to survive right i'd created an identity that i thought i needed in order to survive in life which we all do we all we all <laughs> yeah. create the, the, these different parts of us to keep us safe mm -hmm. and to be able to move forward uh, mm -hmm. i love that and you can identify that so we mm -hmm. talked about before you jumped on also about the, the challenges around being attractive physically and how that can sometimes take people's opinion of you away from what it is you're actually bringing to the table and we talked about the different energy so so like i said that that post that you did where it was like, yeah, you're really standing in, in that power and that energy. What challenges have you had from that perspective of people looking at you from a different lens because of the, the physical side of things? Yeah, look, I think we're all guilty of judging a book by its cover at some stage. And I think that's why I've been so successful in this space, in this arena, is because there is uh, such a polarity there um, where I, I surprise people um, because I am more in my masculine and more in my uh, a power and and that confidence and self-worth, which people are drawn to. Um, I think for a lot of women, it can be intimidating at first, uh, the, the appearance side of things. But when they realise um, how much, even though I have that masculine energy and I hold that strength, there's also a lot of empathy there. A lot of understanding, and I still can flow between the balance of feminine and masculine. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And that ties in with what you were saying before around the the energy and and how you dealt with these different coping mechanisms to get through different aspects of your life. So, what mm. why was your younger years 
why were they so challenging? Yeah, so I grew up in a home of domestic violence and drug abuse and I left home at the age of 17 to move into my friend's car garage. That was my head start in life, I say. Um, so, yeah, my bed was literally set up next to the washing machine. The kitty litter tray wasn't far from that either. So oh, I know wow. that there's people out there who have had it far worse and they've been homeless. In fact, I've interviewed, you know, TV celebrities that have been homeless before and I think about um, how that part of my life was so important like for for my growth and it's given me the power of perspective and i think that's what allows me to be such a great coach as well is i do have that power of perspective everyone always says i don't know how you see things from your point of view all the time there's always so much empathy and understanding um and just being able to to view things so differently to the common person because of what I've been through and what I've witnessed, what I've experienced, um, I found it it truly grounding in a lot of ways. Yeah, wow. So mm-hmm. what what led up to, like you said, you mentioned domestic violence and um, and drug abuse. So so what? Well, actually, before what led up to you leaving, but like what what sort of things played out for you? Like was it was it in a state of uh, perpetual fear of um, like uh, spending more time at other people's houses because you just didn't want to be there? Like what sort of things yeah. played out yeah. for you? Strange, strangely, a, co- a combination. Um, so my parents were just very toxic together and even when they separated and I was solely in my mother's care, I was never home at that stage because the marriage breakdown uh, really made her fall apart in many ways and she just wasn't able to be um, a mother. She wasn't able to be um, even a strength for herself at that time. Uh, In many ways, I feel like I raised my parents and I was the, the one that took on that role and that responsibility um, of having to be the one to to say that's not right and you shouldn't be doing that and those sorts of things, right? Um, and then there was a very a decent period there where I wasn't home. I did reside at one of my friend's places for quite a long time um, to, to, avoid, to, to avoid being at home. And uh, luckily I had a dog and I took my dog with me everywhere. Everyone sees my dog, my current dog in my stories all the time and she's my little best mate. But um, at the time growing up, I did have a dog that was um, a German Shepherd cross cattle dog and he was my guardian. I took him with me everywhere and he was my protector. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. You've got a uh, German Shepherd cross with a Kelpie not too dissimilar and, yes, the protective elements that come out. Mm that deep bark where you like <laughs> oh wow there's something not quite going right yeah i love it yeah. you do feel very yeah. safe um yeah. so you said you 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 ended up being the parent you felt at times mm-hmm. for your parents yes like, did you feel that pressure like how i mean looking at where you're at now you you've obviously developed a whole lot of skills to be able to cope with that but mm. as a child, when you're quite mm. young, like how does that play yeah. out? That must have been just exhausting. It was, hence the reason I, I left at 17 and I had an estranged relationship with my mother for a long time. Uh, we're a lot closer now and a lot better now. Um, but it was necessary for me at the time to distance myself from multiple family members. I, I was the only one in my family that didn't do drugs. And I it was really hard to make that decision for myself to separate myself from that, to want to evolve and go down a different path. I needed to be the cycle breaker. Yeah. Brilliant. Mm. And what a, what a beautiful journey that is. And, and 
like I honor you for taking on that because that's not easy, right? Like yeah. actually making that decision. I, I imagine at times it's like, well, there is no other decision. It's something that I know I have to do. There's still yeah. moments of courage where you have to step into that space, right? Yes. Well, people always ask me what made you so different, even to my siblings and, and go in that different direction. And I say, well, because I had an example of what I didn't want to become. Yeah. Right. It's as simple as that. You make that choice. You either follow suit and go down the same path or you look at their life and go, well, I don't want that for myself. So it for me, it was as simple as that. It was black and white. It was go down the same path and live the same life or be the cycle breaker because you that's a perfect example of what you don't want to become yeah it's amazing how often we see what we see and we make a decision we don't want to do that we end up just repeating the same patterns and then the alternate alternative is true as well it's like well that's i don't want to do that it's it's a lot around that mindset that you talk about now right is shifting the Mm -hmm. language and shifting how the, the lens through which you're seeing things are there still things from those days when, when you were young and going through that where you did then see those patterns repeating because you'd seen what you'd seen? Like the first thing that comes to mind, I guess, is if it's drug abuse, did, did, did that sort of addictive tendency that sounds like, again, an assumption playing out there for your family, did that show up in other ways for you? Yeah, so moving forward, um, I ended up attracting in uh, partners and having relationships with people that uh, had an addictive personality, not necessarily drugs. Um, My first serious boyfriend was a couple of years older and he did smoke weed and things like that and was uh, addicted, uh, had had an addictive personality in that sense. Um, but even other things, you know, I'd moved on to have relationships with people that still had that addictive personality. So subconsciously, um, that little girl inside of me that knew that that was her role and her responsibility or had been programmed anyway to believe that, um, I still attracted those people in that needed me to hold that space for them or to guide them in some way. And, yeah, so it it took um, this journey and this this journey of self discovery and self development and um, you know further things that happened down the track for me to really delve into that and acknowledge what my subconscious was doing and that's why I love this space so much because we're not consciously aware of our programming and why we do the things that we do and that the whole human behaviour. Um, I had many instances in my life that made me very curious to do this work and discover why these patterns were occurring or these things were happening in my life and also why was I the black sheep well why was I so different to the rest of my family yeah I love that the the Mm. first thing that came to mind when you said about attracting partners like that did you find yourself or looking back now did you do you did you step into a bit of that parenting space for these partners Yes. Well, uh, so I left a a 10-year relationship slash marriage uh, a few years ago and that occurred 12 months after my father committed suicide. So I went through this transition of just snowball of um, sort of, well, I had to process the grief first, so I gave myself 12 months for that, Um, but I was unhappy in the marriage prior to that and didn't want to unpack too much at once. And then I utilised that space while I was healing through my grief to grow and evolve. And unfortunately, not everyone in your close vicinity wants to do that with you. And it was very necessary because we had our own individual traumas from our past 
and we yeah. brought that into the relationship and could see that we were destroying ourselves and each other. But because I left home at a young age and I had taken on those responsibilities from a young age, again, I didn't realise subconsciously I was emasculating my husband in our marriage without even realising I was doing it because I was a natural born leader and he wasn't. You know, I developed that role of taking charge and getting things done and I was the action taker and the decision maker and not realising that that can be emasculating to a man in a committed relationship, right? Um, And at the same time, he didn't try and step up and take on that role. And naturally, if he was in that, I know that I would have stepped back into my feminine and allowed him to take over in that role because I didn't, that wasn't too, that's not the true core essence of who I am as a woman. I didn't want to be in that role, but subconsciously I, I didn't know any different. Yeah, it's a challenge, isn't it? I know many of the women I've spoken to in a similar sort of position. It's like, well, what what step do you take? Do you do you step back into your feminine first to allow that space, or mm-hmm. do you uh, yeah do you highlight that need for you know what you need from a partner? So, do you do any work in in that sort of space around relationships? And if so, how do you help people with that, given the experience you've had yourself? Yes. So I will just add that it wasn't like that originally in the beginning. I feel that as the relationship formed and took shape over the years, uh, my my husband's issues um, without being too personal and sharing his journey, um, well, his insecurities and his issues and his past traumas uh, caused him to behave a certain way and do certain things in the relationship that made me step more into my masculine if that makes sense. So I'm not saying I, I went into it originally fully in my masculine because we wouldn't have even had the power of polarity to form a connection in the first place. It was that progressively got worse throughout the relationship because I found myself having to take charge, having to make decisions and having to step more into that role and feeling really frustrated and, and resentful at some stages throughout that relationship. So uh, I tried to... Uh, create some changes towards the end and and again I was the driver of trying to help both of us but when someone doesn't want to grow and they don't want to face themselves and they're not ready to that's when I had to make that decision to stay or to leave and basically save myself like stay there and drown with that person that doesn't want to do the work and face themselves or leave and yeah so I made the decision to leave um when with regards to my clients uh, I've coached a lot of people through breakups I find that's a catalyst for people whether it's a divorce or a split after a few months or a few years um that's a catalyst for people to face themselves because they're on their own and they lose that sense of belonging to something and someone and so it creates a shift in their identity And they feel lost and unsure of themselves and at some stages unworthy, unlovable and all those horrible, painful things that I'm sure we've all experienced at some stage. And that's what's caused them to reach out. That's what's caused them to want to do this work and learn how to love themselves for themselves and also they don't want to repeat the same mistakes moving forward in future relationships. Yeah, cool. Mm. Love that. You mentioned before... Uh, you've always been someone that's curious 
<laughs> so I, I really get fascinated in in people's childhood journey and and what were those things that they were really curious about back then like so for me like I was fascinated by the the paranormal and the uh mm. and the energy world although I didn't know it in that language back then but anything that was unexplained and and a little bit um like strange and and unknown like you know we only use a small percentage of our brain what's the rest of it for like what else are we capable of like that used to fascinate me right so for you as this curious young child what what were the sort of things that you were dreaming about or pondering that you look back now on and think yeah wow that was uh, some some really cool conversations with yourself (laughs) well i had a very extraordinary upbringing very rare very extraordinary so my parents were kind of stoner hippies that lived up in the mountains and we had natural spring water. We had an outhouse. We didn't have electricity and all those types of things. And wow. we had we had farm animals, but we didn't have a farm, so to speak. We had, you know, a small block that was of, of cleared land and then the rest of it was cliff face and lantana and bushland and whatnot. But I literally had my own um, mystical rainforest kind of cubby house in my own backyard right and yeah it was really cool um so there was lots of instances where i you know put sticks in big ant holes and and got bitten and (laughs) went home screaming and crying um and just very inquisitive when it came to animals and you know the 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 circle of life really um i have never forgotten when the the chickens and the goats and ever and all of the animals would have babies and i would sit on our little balcony and watch um, a little trail of the the, the yellow chicks behind their mum across the yard but there was a little black one that i called midnight and i watched an eagle one day come down and swoop midnight and i could just hear him chirping over the mountains while this this eagle took off with it and that traumatized me as a young child right I had to learn from a young age that this is what happens. This was like real live David Attenborough in my yard, um, <laughs> learning about nature and the circle of life and how that works and that, you know, life's not all rainbows and butterflies. Yeah. Mm. I actually got followed that. home from school by a pack of wild dogs once as well. Um, wow. Yeah. My sister and I had to fill our pockets with um, pebbles from the from the road to to throw at them, and my sister got a big stick and was like yelling and 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 hitting the stick on the road and trying to scare them away. And yeah, it's like what what I mean by you know the the adversity and the things that I've experienced in my life is really profound to the average person. And when they see me today and you know judge a book by its cover they have no idea but i love it i love shocking people i love surprising people i love sharing stories <laughs> brilliant that sounds like straight out of a movie right all of that what exactly. you just described there yes everyone um, keeps telling me to write a book and i'm like there's so many stories i wouldn't even know where to start did, did that bring you as siblings did that bring you really close together at living in that isolated environment in that sort of world Yeah, so this is uh, what I really struggled with is that, you know, growing up in nature and surrounded by these incredible animals and learning so much about nature and life uh, from from such a young age and having stoner hippie parents, 
that lived up yeah. in the mountains, um, they both had horrible upbringings or experienced some severe trauma in 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 both of their lives. So it's almost like they were wound mates, which I've you know coached people on as well, and and that connection, and it was unhealthy. And at times there was a lot of laughter and playfulness and my dad played guitar and we'd sit there and all as a family sing along to him playing guitar because, you know, we didn't watch TV and things. Yeah. But things got really ugly. You know, I've got a, a mixed um, memory of very horrible, toxic situations um, with the violence between the two of them and physical violence and mum coming into our room with blood noses and things like that. Um but then I also have those fond memories of us all being a family and, you know, having those happy times. Um, but as a child, I think you're oblivious to the fact of people's traumas and how they come out and how they behave. And I didn't understand the dynamics of their relationship or what was right or wrong in a marriage or how a woman should be treated or how the woman should treat her man and all the rest of it. So, you know, fights blew up. Um, with them quite easily with dad being away at work all day and mum not doing much at home because she was too bent. So, um, you know, it's just one of those things where they didn't know how to, and they were so young. Gosh, they were so young. You know, I grew up with really young parents as well, which is why I felt that I had to take on that role as a parent at different stages because um, I really felt that when they separated, they were learning how to be adults. You're right. right. Yeah. They were just learning and growing like the rest of us. Going back to when you had that experience with your mum coming in, like with a bloody nose, like yeah. did that make you angry? Did it make you scared? Like, what, how, how, did, how did that experience impact you at that age? Yeah, um, look, again, as I said, mixed memories. And because I've done a lot of inner work and I've healed a lot of the pain from my childhood now, um, it's not all the the pain and suffering that I remember. I have a good memory of both the good and bad times and I know that there was a balance of the two. That's why they stayed together for like 17 years or something. Um but I also am consciously aware of their programming now, why they behaved the way that they did. And so I've removed all that pain and suffering around it. Yes, it's awful. Um, it should never have happened and I shouldn't have had to have witnessed that. But at the same time, I accept every experience I've ever had in my life and realised it shaped me into the woman I am today and I'm very proud of who I am today. So I can't hate the experiences that shaped me, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. I'm still curious about what what that was like, though, from a from a sensory perspective. So that we, because talking about then having to heal it, that that's a mm -hmm. big part of the journey, right, of yeah. overcoming the grief. Is yeah. then okay. So this is what showed up, and now I know I need to clear it because it's showing up again in my adult years. So so yeah. what what is there a sort of standout sort of feeling that comes to mind or or reaction for you, whether that was from a physical or mental or an emotional perspective from that time of, of seeing your mum go through that? Yeah, well, look, at the time there was a lot of fear. We were very fearful of my dad when he had a temper. And, uh, you know, my sister and I were in the firing line of that sometimes as well. Um, but I guess the part where I don't have that, that anger or resentment or even that pain and suffering anymore is that um, when my parents split and I was left in the care of my mother, I saw 
I guess, the traits or the behaviour of why my dad acted out that way. Not saying that I am justifying why he did it. It just, I I gained an understanding. And so realising and identifying that they both had their issues, I was able to equally be upset or disappointed and have equal love and care for both of them. And my father came through and redeemed himself years later. Um, Him and I actually shared a very close bond and had a great relationship before he passed. Um, And that was, yeah, one of the greatest tragedies of my life, losing him. But I also know and tell many people that my father's choice to leave this earth, um, well, the physical side of this earth, (laughs) um, I I still see that as his greatest, Uh, his final lesson but his greatest lesson to me in life I again cannot hate the experiences that have shaped me and the growth that I have gained from that as traumatic as it was it has made me who I am today and yeah I'm just I'm grateful for for all of it Mm. yeah now I want to dig a bit deeper there if that's okay because I know that uh, that's not something that you come too quickly right oh, like, no. <laughs> we, we've got to do a lot of peeling back and and so yes. you talked that being only three and a half years ago mm-hmm. for me it took much longer to get to that point to to realize that um like yes it'd be awesome to have my dad back here there was a tremendous gift for me going through that grief in terms of what it's changed for my life mm-hmm. how did you get from that place of the of the pain and and everything that goes with that, the, the depths of that grief to then coming out the other side. Was there a moment, because I, I look at it like this, the first few weeks afterwards there's lots of support and everyone's there and that slowly starts to drift away over time and mm. that's when you get that time where you're like, well, now what do I do? Everyone's got on with their life and then there's a sort of numbness that can continue from from that point, whether it's two weeks or six months, to then having that moment of a, a spark that, that yeah. has you thinking, all right, something's got to change. So so what was that spark for you? Like if you could just talk about that that grieving journey and then, and then coming out the other side of like, okay, I've actually got to do something different now. Yeah. So the process for me personally, and this is very different for, for everyone because as you were saying, it depends what support you have. And I've heard that so many times that people get surrounded by loved ones around the time of the funeral, but eventually everyone goes back to their life and you've got to try and find some level of normalcy again in your life, which is really confronting and very hard to do. But for me, I didn't have a lot of support. I was the support for my entire family. I had to pay for them to attend the funeral and fly into state and do, um, you know, accommodation and everything. I had family attacking me over the will because I was the executor of the will. I had to deal with lawyers and, um, you know, real estate agents to sell his property. I didn't really have a chance to grieve in that um my husband had his own addictions and issues that he was dealing with that he wasn't able to hold space for me and support me either in fact I was carrying a lot of weight emotional uh weight of him and him as well wow. my entire family yes yeah so um I guess what was so damaging for me at the time was I went straight into survival mode and warrior mode 
right, right into yeah. fight mode. I yeah. was not aware of, uh, well, subconsciously, um, yeah, I went into that very easily because that was all I knew what to do. It's what I did when I was a little girl and mum was being hurt. It's what I did when I had to leave home at 17. You know, it's it's just what I knew how to deal, how to cope. Any breakups I went through, anything like that, I only knew how to go into warrior mode, how to step into that fight mode and, you know, just create um, a, a victorious comeback, <laughs> right? Yeah. So I did go into that really, uh, as I said, the that stage of organising everyone else and, and dealing with all my responsibilities. But this is why 12 months later I left my marriage because everything that I learned in that 12 months through my stages of grief so past the warrior mode, I went into that um, softened, sadder stage of spending a lot of time in nature, reminiscing on my time with my father. Um, he actually has um, a couple of books out. He was a stonemason. And uh, one of the books that he wrote uh, has short stories in it and the other one is teaching people how to lay stone. And with the the book full of short stories, um, I was able to almost hear his voice and visualize him telling this story and still had so many elements of him around. Um, in fact, I believe he was still around me a lot. I don't, um, he doesn't really visit me in my dreams. I don't have conversations with him anymore, but there were stages where I would say something and I'd hear his voice answer me almost, right? Awesome. I really, yeah. really believe that he was there holding space for me a lot in those early stages. Um, so I even even remember having a very vivid dream on the morning of his birthday. It was 5 a.m., the usual time that he would wake up, and I never wake up at 5 a.m. <laughs> and uh, I had this dream that he pulled up in my driveway on his Harley, and I ran out there to hug him, and I could smell him, feel him, everything. It was so real. Wow. And I believe it wasn't long after that that he crossed over and moved on because those vivid images, oh. dreams, all of that, it um, they stopped. They stopped. And there's been few and far visits in between, but I still have the little things that remind me of him or that, you know, comes up for me. I got tingles all through that and <laughs> and it uh, it makes total sense, right? Like like mm. you said, he's holding space for you, he's been there for you until you are ready to to do it yourself. Yes. And um be really interesting to know if uh, at times now whether you intentionally ask for him to come back what what you would get. Um yeah. that's beautiful. Uh, to, yeah. to me people can believe whatever they believe in in the afterlife. Mm. Why would you not want to believe that there's that connection? Like we mm. we are all made of energy. Energy doesn't disappear. Uh, your your soul doesn't disappear. Why wouldn't they be coming back to connect with you in some way? Like, what what a beautiful way of looking at your connection to someone who's no longer here in the physical, as you described it. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, and only him and I will understand that connection and that bond. Yeah, yeah. I, I was definitely a daddy's girl, and I was so much more like him. They're my mum in many ways. Um, but as I said, I've developed a great relationship with my mum now. We talk often on the phone. Um, 
uh, try and make the effort to to visit her. But it's it's hard seeing her in the way that she is now. Um, you know, the hard life and the choices she's made has deteriorated her physically and emotionally. So that's difficult to witness. Yeah. Do, do you wonder or do you know, like, what your parents would have experienced that shaped them to, to one, choose that sort of lifestyle and then, two, sort of how it played out? Yeah, look, there's so much more I would never know about their upbringing and what they experienced. But from what I do know and the knowledge that I've gained being a coach and, and working and studying in, in self-development, I, as I said, I have so much more understanding about their programming now and why they behave the way that they did and the choices they made. And so rather than feeling frustrated or cheated out of having good parents um, and, the, and the childhood that I had, I have replaced that with compassion and understanding now. And that has helped heal me more than, than them. You know, like I needed to do that for myself. Yeah, so, beautiful. That's been really powerful for me in in this whole journey. Yeah. So you went through that that whole process of like you said, you know, your dad was with you and you came out the other side. Like was that just a matter of time or were there certain things playing out that were helping you come out the other side and start looking at the world differently? Did you start receiving that support that you hadn't received before? Like what what came into your world that wasn't there previously? There were lots of things I was already doing in the past that I felt I had let slip. Um, so I used to read a lot. I used to journal a lot. Um, I was running a successful business six days a week, 12-hour days. I was really kind of ruining myself. I think a lot of issues in my marriage and my personal issues from past traumas I had not faced or dealt with myself, I buried that in the success of my business and I created an identity again around that survival mode of, well, if I'm successful and I'm achieving these milestones, then that gives me purpose and, you know, it's a sense of why I'm waking up every day. Um, yeah. And I, I always had that that can-do attitude, right, because I developed that from a young age in that survival mode. So I really thrived in business. And again, this is why you know, I feel I'm a great coach because I help people in not only matters of the heart and their personal life, but in, in business as well. And it's, it's all mindset, right? It's all mindset. Um, and so with that, I, I took time off to grieve. I, I closed my business. I, I had time off. It was just realizing that nothing else mattered. It didn't matter how much money I had, how many luxury items I had, the beautiful Range Rover parked in my garage, even even my marriage, the house, everything. You know, I used to think about all the shit I'd waste my time doing in the past. But when my father passed, it was this huge wake-up call. It was this catalyst moment for me to really have a look at what is the purpose and meaning of not just my life but life in general. What are we all doing here? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I feel a lot of us are just conditioned and programmed to be like robots and society jams down our throat this idea of get married, have the business, have a family, the picket white fence, you know. My life looked perfect from the outside in, but I was dying on the inside. And yeah. that's what I wasn't afraid to come out and start telling people because I wanted to shake people up and say, wake up. Right, there's this whole other life out there that we're not experiencing and we're desensitized. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I feel that's why I say, you know, it was the greatest, um, it was my dad's final lesson, but his greatest lesson to me because it just gave me a deeper sense of perspective on life uh, in general. And it just, it woke me up. <laughs> it woke mm. me up. I, I didn't want people to wait till they experience such great pain and suffering from grief or, or anything else that they may experience in their life to have that wake up call. But sadly, that's what it takes for a lot of people. hundred percent. And, mm. uh, one of the great challenges is exactly that is like most people will only be jolted to life by having that tragedy mm. to mm -hmm. me it's starting people to think about exactly what you said there about that that curiosity and uh and what's going on in their life it's also realizing that because i look back at this for me i had many jolts before my dad passed away, which didn't have the impact. And how many people mm. have already had those moments and didn't act on them? Yes. And that's yes. the sort of, I don't know if you've had this experience as well, is that part of the unraveling process is realising how many of these moments where I just, for some of them, I, I push the emotion down intentionally. For others, my subconscious just blocked it completely, like such numbness that there was just no reaction. And then peeling it back later and just realising, oh, man, like that, that's still playing out today. Mm. So, so for you, like looking back on that, like mm. how, how has that unraveling process happened for you? And have you realized the same thing that there were those moments previously that perhaps if you, if you were the person you were now, you would have actually paid more attention. <laughs> yeah. So I went through that stage of revisiting all those old practices and rituals that I used to do. I really had to nurture myself and make those decisions and, it was 12 months later on the anniversary of my father's passing, I bought a ticket to a Tony Robbins event and, and it, it actually commenced on the date of, of his passing. And I did that purely because I wanted to mark that occasion with something remarkable um, rather than sitting at home crying and, and being in that state of suffering. I wanted to go and do this for myself. And I had purchased a ticket for my husband to come with me and hoped that this would be the catalyst for us to get back on track and to help us individually, but together as well. And sadly, he didn't want to go. So I went alone. And then I, then I came home and that's when I, I packed up and left. Was, was there, is there a chance that you actually got picked out of the crowd at some point? To, at Tony uh, Robbins? You mean? Yeah. No, yeah. no, no. Um, I, I do recall certain people, you know, standing up and sharing their stories and it's, it was just, how do I explain it? In, for 12 months in that fog of grief and, and pain and suffering and, and growing and learning and, um, and my awakening, I guess you could call the whole experience an awakening. Um, in that 12 months, I felt more alone than I'd ever been in my life. Because, not because I had to deal with the grief a lot of my own, but because whilst I'm awakening, no one else around me is. Yeah. Right? Like I said, it's like you feel like you're the only one that sees the world through these set of eyes with that perspective. And so when I went to the Tony Robbins event and he gets that crowd going and he wakes people up and shakes them up and they have their awakening at that moment and many breakthroughs, I looked around that stadium of two and a half thousand people and was like, I'm not alone. Yeah, I love that. There are people out there just 
like me that have this fire inside them and they want so much more for themselves in their life. They just don't know exactly how to get it. And that's what made me so determined to create the movement um, in honor of my dad, which was never meant to allude to me becoming a coach, but it just happened that way. Uh, as you, as you hear, have heard that story from quite a few people, I'm sure, but yeah, it's just, it's incredible how it's all evolved and how every part of it, the pain, the suffering, the heartache, the joy, the the tears, the the breakthroughs, the the awakening, it's all served a great, great purpose. Yeah, absolutely. And all of those elements linked to, to our own personal purpose as well. It's interesting what you said there, because I, I would say that, that most people who have been through that process would say the same thing. Suddenly they're seeing things that they haven't seen before and they just want to tell everyone. And then yeah. usually people who aren't ready to hear it and they're, yeah. Much, like what's, much like what's going on at the moment with people screaming their this, yes. that and the other at people. And it's like if they're not ready, yeah. like yeah. you be saying anything. Yeah. So so actually then realising that you just have to go on your own journey and those that, that are mm. meant to will, will come and be attracted into that world, right? Yeah. And that aloneness turned into, I, I guess the, the loneliness, I should say, turned into just aloneness. And I wasn't, I was alone, but I wasn't lonely because I had developed this so much to become in alignment with this. Everything made sense. And I had that clarity and understanding. I had healed years of um, resentment, anger, hurt and suffering. And, yeah, it was just becoming the person I was really proud to be, but also not afraid to be the odd one out in the crowd that sees things differently and shares that to those who want to listen. Yeah, brilliant. Mm. Something you said before really struck me because it's something I know of purpose and that's like people talk about, well, you know, having purpose and, and purpose comes in all different forms. Like, you know, like it, it doesn't have to be the great depth of it. But when people are going through that awakening in there and they're wanting to change and they've had that spark and they're like, okay, well, I want something that actually fulfills me. What you talked about then, all of those things are, are very intricately and very much intertwined with our purpose and that's the mm-hmm. the actual catalyst for change moment the the awakening moment everything that we've overcome and for me it's like it's that thing that we never want anyone else to experience what we went through mm. and that's all find our purpose so for mm-hmm. you what is that thing what is that thing that you experience that you now love to help other people to not have to experience, that you love to share messages around, that you love to see other people come out the other side of that so that they don't have to experience that same pain? Yeah. Well, I guess what the difference with me, and a lot of people find this a little odd, is I actually celebrate when people come to me and they're deep in that pain and they're sharing the story with me. I'm smiling and nodding going, yes, because I relate and I understand. But the reason I'm smiling and the reason I'm nodding at them is because I know what's on the other side of that and they don't know yet. And that excites the shit out of me because the the victory and the growth and the change of heart and the change of mind and the person that you become 
it's freaking priceless. And only the pain can teach you that. Absolutely. So I'm going to push a little bit harder on that one, Jessica. <laughs> so, so, so again, I'll ask the question, what is it that you've overcome that you don't want anyone else to experience? Um, what have I overcome that I don't want anyone else to experience? Oh, look, grief is the, the hardest, ugliest, um, most painful thing I think we'll ever go through is loss. And this is why, again, uh, when people go through breakups and they reach out to me, it's like they're grieving a death because in a way they are. They're grieving the death of their old story and their old identity and the life they thought they are going to have. And so I believe grief, whether you lose a loved one like I did or whether you've lost a relationship or a partner or even your old self, there is a great pain and suffering that comes with that. And it is awful. And at times it's made me feel like I don't even want to be here on this earth. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure many other people have felt that way too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And the thing that struck me through that is you had to do that alone. Mm. You had to go through your grief Mm. not being supported in fact even worse than that having to be the support for so many different people yeah. and to me that's what really shines for you is that you you take so much joy in supporting people through that time because you know what it's like to not have that yeah yeah exactly but i've had to be very careful because you know in the beginning much like my old identity i when i first decided to become a coach it was like, oh, I can help everyone and anyone and I'll just take yeah. on anyone that comes to me, right, and I want to save the world. And I'm very particular now that, you know, when I screen my clients and I qualify them, it's I don't work with quitters. Like it's going to get hard and don't think I can wave a wand and your life's going to change. You have to be willing to do the work. And they also need to realise they're the ones doing the work. I'm here to guide them give them every piece of guidance and support and experience that I've, you know, gone through in my life and all my expertise, um, but they're the ones doing the work. And if they think that this is going to be a walk in the park or they think that I'm going to rescue them and save them in some way and they don't have to try and rescue themselves, then we're wasting each other's time. Love that. Mm. Yeah, because we don't want to re replace the other rescuers in their life by stepping into that space ourselves, right? Yes, and I don't want to play that role anymore either in my life. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah. You mentioned success and, and running your own business. And mm. um, so firstly, I'd, just, I'd love to hear what that business was. And, and secondly, how do you view success now in a much different space where, where you're helping others? Mm. Well, I recently shared a post on my page called Story of a Hustler, a lot of people are really interested to, to hear the background and how I got to where I am and why I'm able to help people in business and why I became a success mindset coach out of all the types of coaches you could be. Yeah. And I believe success looks different for everyone and we all have our different versions of that and that's what I love helping people discover as well. So that's why I feel even success mindset coach, people believe it's around business, but as I said earlier, it's, it's matters of the heart that affect our performance in everyday life, which happens to be a lot to do with business. So I do tend to help uh, those that um, are the, the workaholics, because <laughs> I used to be that, right? You're attracting yeah. what you used to be. Yep. Um, so, so this story of a hustler 
Um, as I said, left home at quite a young age and I tried different fields, but I, I fell into administration and reception work um, as a junior and I worked my way up the, the food chain and became uh, a paralegal in law firms. That's what I was doing and a bit of conveyancing and things like that. And I got sick of being chained to a desk and a computer and being governed with, you know, this nine to five thing and um, just re- it was really dragging my feet and just didn't feel fulfilled. And there's a lot of people out there, these workaholics, that aren't fulfilled. Even if yeah. they're getting results at work, they're still not fulfilled because there's something inside of them that's just not in alignment and they don't even know who they are. They fell into this job or this role through, you know, parents and influences around them and things like that and people don't take the time to discover who they are and what they want for themselves and so here I was in this job um, unfulfilled and wanting more for myself so I studied uh, beauty therapy and started servicing my clients from home on the side after hours and I recruited a lot of clients from uh, the office job which then word spread from there so it's pretty easy And I enjoyed the interaction with other women, but the biggest thing was I loved making them feel beautiful and feel good about themselves, right? It was a confidence thing. And I also had another side hustle of doing promotional work. I literally would do a nine-to-five job and then drive from the Gold Coast an hour to Brisbane on a weeknight, on Thursday nights, and I would dress as a Vegas showgirl to host um, poker games. And, yep, and uh, serve drinks and things and and yeah, it was like 250 or something for the night plus my tips um, to, to dress up and do that. And so I recruited a few girls to, to help out with that and then started hosting private parties in penthouses and things. Um, and my girls in tight dresses would light cigars and pour drinks for men in expensive suits and Rolex and things like that. And I, I found dealing with powerful men taught me to be tough in business um, I really valued that experience and what I went through and I uh, did that for about a year but then I found the staff unreliable and uh, it was a lot you know juggling that and my other side hustle plus my full-time job and I never I lost sight. I never lost sight that my full-time job was the backbone of it all and yeah. I never had the desire to leave my job to go and do those things they were side hustles you know uh, that was the intention however um, being miserable in the in the uh, office space and you know being governed by this nine to five situation and being told I can only have a certain amount of time off a year and wanting to travel the world and things, um, I decided to grow the original side hustle of the beauty therapy and uh, went into uh, have a, have a salon and multiple staff and grew that to a six figure business very quickly. Uh, within the space of a year, I hired my first employee and and went from there so and it just grew every year that um had to move to a bigger place and and expand and i attracted um influencers and celebrities tv celebrities and things like that as clients and yeah it was again another great journey but that was the business that i closed when my father passed and then on the other side of that was also then i scaled it back I started working by myself again, how I originally started, and that's when I created the the movement and and then fell into coaching. Yeah, right. Mm. So through all of that, like you you can see your work work ethic uh, shining through. I mean, yes. 
I guess there, there must be an element of like if you're living on the land that there's just a natural work ethic. There's a lot to be done, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. How do you then step from that space where you're like working long hours and you're, you know, really driven by, well, I don't know what, what you were driven by, but it's like, you know, you wanted to create more, like yeah. more in your life and, and live yeah. more. How do you then, you said you fell into coaching, but how do you go from that space? Like did you hit a burnout where you just couldn't give any more and so you were like, okay, things have to change or was it just going through that grief? Was was that the catalyst that said I can't go back to that old life? Well, as I said, I was unhappy in my marriage at the time and so my business masked all of my personal issues, I guess, and... Uh, then when my father passed, I had that awakening of what am I doing with my life? I'm not going to keep spending it doing things or being around people that don't light me up and make me happy or aren't a positive influence in my life. And so I cleared out old friends, left my marriage, um, closed that business, all kinds of things. I just a complete transition of I'm I'm creating a whole new life here. And so with that, um, as I said, when I created the movement, my my intention was never to be a coach. I, every second person I met through Tony Robbins and all these other <laughs> development things I was in, every second person was a coach and I had no desire to be one. In fact, I wanted the opposite because I thought, I'm just going to deal with people that are like my family members my whole life and I don't want to do that. Yeah. You know, people that don't really want the help or don't want the answers to their problems, they love being in that victim mindset because it serves them in many ways. I'm sure you know all about that. So, um, yeah, that was the the least thing that I wanted to do. But when I created the movement, my intention was just to be the creative director. I knew the journey I wanted to take my audience on and I knew what it was that they needed um, in terms of, like, bringing on coaches, speakers, authors, all of that. I wanted to, to hire them and put them on stage. And I had celebrity guests come in and do live performances from The Voice and Australia's Got Talent and those types of things. And it was almost like a Tony Robbins event on a different scale with multiple guests, not just one main person. Yeah, cool. And yeah, and it was really, really cool. And I, I loved it personally um, and saw the the breakthroughs and the transition with with the audience and the messages I got from people and how many hearts we touched and so from there I ended up on radio stations several newspapers getting lots of podcast interviews and things and the word was spreading and so we're in the middle of a national tour when the virus broke out and I had lots of people reaching out to me and as I had um, planned to be the girl behind the scenes just you know creating this um, these events for the for you know people in the world that needed it it was like moths to a flame. Everyone was like, well, who's the girl that created it and why did she create it and what's her story? So you're and, thrust into the spotlight all of a sudden. Yeah, and it's so funny now when I look back on it because I have footage of when the MC got me on stage at the very first event just to say, um, we want to say thank you to the girl that put this event on for us today. And I, I looked at the ground. I couldn't even look at the audience. I was absolutely packing it. Yeah. Um and she said, um, do you want to tell everyone why you created this event? And I just talked down to the microphone. I couldn't even look at the audience. Like I was so shy. But I really wanted to do a certain exercise with the audience that I said I wanted to come on stage for. So after I broke that 
situation of like, you know, being on stage for the first time, it was almost like you couldn't get me off. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I got up there and I facilitated this exercise and then just seeing how it was all about the people, you know, that's what allowed me to get up there. So I was like, this was, this isn't even about me. They're not, they're not really looking at you. You're here to facilitate this experience that you want them to have. And that helped me get over my fear immediately. And so the exercise is something that Tony Robbins does is I will get them to go and find someone in the audience that they don't know and do the eye gazing um, experience where they, yeah. And so I spoke and narrated over the top of that and got them to have this experience where people were crying and hugging each other and it was just, you know, and I was talking about how people feel unseen, unheard, unloved, unnoticed, all of these things. And so we are being selfless in this and gifting this time to this other person, a couple of minutes of your time, and there needs to be no physical contact or anything else but purely looking into this person's eyes and into their soul just to let them know that, hey, you matter and I see you right now. Well, that freaking brought the house down and I loved it and I, I just wanted to do more. So moving forward, I had planned to MC my own events and facilitate a couple of exercises. But as I said, more and more people reached out through the pandemic and that's when they were asking, you know, can you coach me and these sorts of things. It's every coach's dream. Like I didn't even have to do anything. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, um, and my clients I was signing up uh, were all from America. I didn't, really, I didn't really have many clients in Australia. They were all American, male and female. Um, a lot of them around the 50 60-year-old bracket, some in their 40s, and going through all sorts of things, not productive at work, procrastinating, don't feel successful, no self-worth, unhappy marriage, breakups, you name it. And it just, I just fell into it. <laughs> Amazing. Mm. Clearly, you have become very comfortable on a stage and to an audience yes. and, yeah. and, and it really get a sense that that's a place that you will be back in at some point, like regularly, feels like your space, right, is, is that front and centre in front of a stage tuning into their energy and having that impact. Mm. Uh, I really love that. Well, since then, um, during the pandemic, as the restrictions started to lift, I then created workshops. So I have facilitated workshops and had guest speakers and I created a division within the movement called Inspiring Women Co because I know that women love to flock and get together and um love to to network and things it's a little bit harder to get men together in that space but i found it very easy with the women so hence the reason i created a women only division and i just started using um or utilizing i should say uh inspiring women with stories of where they were to where they are now victim to victor story and just sharing their success story of you know very similar to mine, I guess. So where were they? Where are they now? How did they get there? What steps did they take? Anything to just empower and uh, inspire the audience. And that's been my mission all along and why I called it Inspiring Minds Movement is just want to inspire people to think outside the norm and realise that there's so much more to this life and to them than they are awakened to. <laughs> Brilliant. Mm. Absolutely so much more. Yes. How would you define for you going forward what success looks like? 
Yeah, interesting um, question because I've really thought about where I see myself in the future and a few times I tried to move, um, but the pandemic restricted that. I really want to spread my wings and get back over to America. I've been over there five times, but before the pandemic and um, during the national tour, I did get back to the States. And one of the speakers that I was supposed to tour with, um, who I have actually been backstage with him and things and and collaborated with him a little bit, um, he has an orphanage in Haiti, south of Miami. And we had planned to go to the orphanage together. And I said to him, I want to strip myself of the makeup, the fake tan, um, everything. I just want to be at one and raw with myself and these children. And it's another element and level of my journey and self-growth of, you know, first world problems versus what they're going through over there. And I wanted to document my time there and show that footage at my events with Inspiring Minds to, again, open people's minds and get them to feel inspired to think about the perspective of how other people are actually living compared to what they feel is the worst thing that's ever happened to them. Um, Again, that parrot perspective, sometimes you need live evidence to really wake up to that. Um, So that was something that I'd planned to do. And since I had so many clients in America, I'd planned to just travel around and surprise my clients and visit them in person and, yeah, just be a little bit of a drifter for a while, but the pandemic had other plans for me, so hence the reason I'm still here at home. Stepping out, of, stepping out in front of a crowd in uh, in another way, mostly online. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. And so I, awesome. I've just trusted the process and just learned yeah. that this is how it's meant to be for now. Um, there will be more workshops. I do hope to get these big live productions back on stage again when these restrictions start to lift more and people are less scared to be in a big crowd and I will um, bring forward some incredible people I've met on this journey that I know will be able to to just really wow the audience and and share so much value. Yeah, so good. Yes. And I can see like, when you talked about that side of the journey of, of being able to be on that platform and be able to shine a light on other people is like that. That's when you really lit up, right? Like mm-hmm. I can see the passion for that. I can see how there'll be so many more amazing parts of your story to be told through mm. that vehicle. Yeah. Is, there, is there a particular story that maybe you have told and you know that it has a big impact or one that maybe you haven't told that you know will have an impact that you've got sort of in the pipeline for the future? So, a, a, sorry, a story of what I have experienced that will impact my future, you mean? or One, one that you can share with the world that will have a, an impact for them. Oh, because I was going to... Um, well, what I thought you were originally going to ask is like an experience I've had with like someone in the audience or something like a life a life that we've touched. Um, and there's there's been quite a few. There's a few share standouts. share that as well. Yeah, yeah. There's a few standouts. So uh, the very first event, there was a gentleman that found me on Facebook, and he was from the Sunshine Coast, and he drove two hours from the Sunshine Coast at six a.m. in the morning and brought his parents with him um, to a, to attend my event. And I got to meet him in person because he had messaged me and I got to meet him in person and, and meet his parents. And the background story was that he lost his wife and daughter in a car accident. Wow. And what's so bizarre about it is he, 
I can't remember exactly if he dreamt it happened or he had a visual image of it happening before it happened. He was in another country. He was in another country uh, or another state or something for work. And it's he knew, like when they came to knock on his door and everything, he knew. Like it he was, already knew. Yeah. And anyway, um, coming to my event completely opened him up uh, and he had these great connections uh, on the Sunshine Coast in newspaper and radio and things, which is how the movement got out. So I knew the universe delivered him to me for a reason and vice versa. He said that I taught him to love again and be not be afraid to open his heart and be willing to move on in his life and just incredible. So I wouldn't have um, decided to do an event on the Sunshine Coast if it wasn't for him. And that was the second. That was the second event that we were in uh, that we had done for the national tour. Um, so yeah, then there was another woman that um, came to the very first event as well, who told me she'd been sleeping in her car, and she read about the event in the paper, and she said, "I needed this more than you know." Right? Yeah. I was just like, "Oh, okay." Now one story that I'll try not to choke up over, but. Um, there was this, at the very first event, there was this gentleman crouched down at the back of the room um, against the petitions in the, we were in the convention centre. Yep. Um, and he was in a suit, but kind of scruffy looking. And um, yeah, he was crouched down at the back of the room by himself. And my crew members were not far from him, um, just supervising if any assistance was required and whatnot. And they were doing their thing. And I noticed him there and I thought, why is he at the back of the room and not involved? So I went up to him and I crouched down next to him and I said, are you enjoying the event so far? I didn't care to tell him who I was. It was my event, nothing. I just wanted to connect with this human being, right? Yeah. And um, he he said, yeah, I'm just taking it all in. And I said, would you like to come and sit with me in the audience? And he said, no, I'm okay here for now. And he said, besides, I know who you are. I saw you in the paper. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> He's like, I know you're not going to stay in the audience with me, but I want to get into the audience, sit with him for a bit at least. And then I was going to go backstage. And um, I said, oh, did you? And I said, well, thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate you being here. And he said, oh, I have something for you, um, but I know you're busy, so I'll catch you after. And I said, yes, on the intermission, let's chat, please. There was something about this man. I, I didn't know what it was. I just knew I was meant to meet him. I don't know what he had for me. I Yeah. So anyway, uh, the intermission um, occurs and I go looking for him. And I'm, I'm looking outside and everything and he's nowhere to be found. And so they called everyone back in, said, all right, guys, we're, we're coming back in. Everyone back to your seats, please. So on my way back in, I got stopped by someone else and was having a conversation to them. And um, everyone's getting back in their seats and whatnot and there's lots of commotion going on and I'm hugging lots of people and greeting them and thanks for coming, thanks for coming. And then everyone's just back in their seats, lights are coming on, we're back in action and I turn around and he appears again, crouched down at the back of the room and he's in a different section now. He's at one of, underneath one of the big pillars in the building. And I, I go up to him and I said, oh, I was looking for you. So he stands up and he ushers me outside. 
And I'm like, okay, I'm actually on stage in like 15 minutes or something. <laughs> what am I going to do? So I go outside with him and I'm thinking we're outside by ourselves now. I hope whatever he's got in his pocket for me is like, you know. He's legit, yeah. Yeah, right. So he says, I got something for you and he's reaching in his pocket and strangely he pulls out this letter that's extremely old and it's from one of the world wars or something and he wanted me to have it. Um, He said, please read that later. And I was so shocked. I didn't know what to say. I was like, okay. And then the other thing that he had for me, he asked me to put my hand out. And I was like, oh, God. So I put my <laughs> hand out and he puts in my hand. Oh, it's just amazing. He puts in my hand this um, wad of cotton, three different colored cottons wound around a piece of cardboard. And he puts it in my hand. I'm looking at it thinking, what on earth? And he said, you keep this and you keep mending those broken hearts. Oh. Wow. Oh, my God. I hugged him. He left. He didn't come back. I said, are you coming back inside? He said, no, I'm, you know, my message here is done, you know, whatever, and he left. I bawled my frigging eyes out. I had to walk away. Um, my crew were coming out and going, Jess, you're on in like 10 minutes. I'm like, oh, 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 I can't deal, I can't deal, I can't do this. Yeah. It was just like, wow. So I had to wipe those tears, get my butt on stage, and then that was when I facilitated that exercise of the eye gazing. And, oh, man, it just, can you see how even for me in that <laughs> at that event, how that's opening up my heart and mind on another level, but can only imagine what that's doing for my audience and just unbelievable. Um, the second event on the Sunshine Coast, um, there was one of the speakers, his brother committed suicide, so that's why I booked him as a speaker. There was a lot of um, a lot that we had uh, related over, but he, he's, he decided to invite... Um, a friend of his who sort of mixed with the wrong crowd and was a bit of a drinker and that sort of thing. And he encouraged him to come along. He said, come and hear me speak and come to this event. Um, and I said, just bring him for free. It's fine. So he brought him in with his kids and his wife. Actually, the whole tribe came. And I was more than happy to welcome them in because I had heard through this speaker that, that it's what they needed, right? It's just what they needed. And that was my gift to them. Yep. And I had booked um, a celebrity guest from Australia's Got Talent. Not sure if you've heard of him, but his name's Tommy Franklin and everyone knew him as Salty Rain. He was on, yeah, Australia's Got Talent and he was this guy with this crazy long beard and wild hair and he wore like electric coloured, multicoloured outfits and he was a dancing man. He would right. stand at the traffic lights and dance and make people smile and feel happy and he just found a way to express himself freely that actually lit up a lot of people and so he got on stage and he had this grown man that would never sing or dance unless it was intoxicated at the pub on his feet dancing around and feeling so amazing that he could not stop smiling and hugging strangers and it woke something in this guy that he had not felt before and it was truly amazing that um, he sent a message to the guest speaker that brought him and then he screenshotted it and sent it to me and said, look what you did to this man. He said he's never, 
never done anything like that in his life and he just loved it he just loved it oh wow uh, <laughs> these events you're, you're creating a, a platform and a container for for deep healing um yeah wow yeah it's inspiring as the name suggests like it says on the label yes yeah absolutely brilliant, brilliant. Uh, so, to, so that was sharing events of you know i think uh, people's stories of what had happened at the events but um well any, any experiences of my own that you asked i well they were experiences of your own right like yes, particularly yeah. particularly with the man like there's part of me that goes did anyone else see this man like, you know, like these, yeah. <laughs> it's like um just this like divinely uh aligned person that comes into your world and it's like oh, like you must have rethought of that whole situation again and again like what was that but like wow like the healing that he gave you and the 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 impact on you that oh mate that's yeah. that, that's a story you should definitely be telling him more yes well i did get on facebook and do a live and shared that story and i said i don't know who he is i don't have his name or anything he was just this mysterious man that came and it was so bizarre because as i said many features of him reminded me of my dad in a way his energy and his scruffiness but then he was in a suit and and then he had this letter from the war and it was bizarre it was the most bizarre but um extraordinary experience that i've had so far yeah and i'm glad you mentioned your dad because that was my first thought as well mm -hmm. it was like um there, there's some sort of connection there and and <laughs> some things that come into our life we don't have to understand we don't have to make yeah. complete sense of but they're magic and and they give us something that we could never have imagined and uh, and i thank you for for sharing that that's really beautiful you're welcome amazing mm. um i that eye gazing process mm. like for anyone who's done it they know the magic of it but for anyone who hasn't taking that time to connect with someone and just connect through the eyes like you said connect to their soul mm. there's something about that that will change you forever and it's well yeah. worth well worth trying if it's something you've thought about um yes I, I really yeah you, you can't explain it until you've done it i guess so i'm, I'm i love the fact <laughs> that you bring that to the to your events mm. i've done it multiple times myself before i facilitated that exercise and i knew how powerful it was and strangely the other times where i was at someone else's event and i had to do it i cried i saw this person just I saw them. It's just yeah. like I was looking right into their soul and I saw them and I was crying for them, for me, for this moment, for humanity. It was just really intense. But then at my own event, um, there was a girl that looked to be in her early 20s and she didn't have a partner. So I called her up on the side of the stage and I did the eye gazing with her and I didn't, I didn't cry. I just couldn't stop smiling whilst I looked in her eyes. And I let her have that moment and feel what came up for her. And there was something so different about when I'm facilitating and sharing that and teaching that and holding that space for someone else. But I surrendered and allowed myself to feel differently when I was at someone else's event. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Or maybe she just didn't have something in her that made me feel feel like i needed to shed tears i just couldn't stop smiling for her mm. but either way it was really incredible yeah 
could be a whole raft of things like could have been that you've you did the healing you needed to do in that space and 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 so it did become a different exchange of energy um i've had the similar experience it's, it's a different experience depending on on who it is and mm. and you mentioned holding space it's funny i asked this question last week uh to um to ali may around like an explanation of holding space and in that eye gazing process it's at a whole deeper level so i'd love mm. to hear how you explain like how you see that process of holding space because um it is truly it's a it's an art and it's something that can be learned and, and it's a really powerful skill and tool to have no matter what part of life you are journeying through yeah well look i i've learned over my time as, as a coach and even you know working in the salon and and holding space for my clients for them to share and and whatnot you don't have to have the answers they're not telling you because they want a solution or the answers all the time sometimes it's just a matter of as i said hold that space and listen and let them know that they're seen and heard and valued as a human being uh, because that's not something that's gifted to us every single day yeah brilliant the, the listening and that I think you've mentioned that a couple of times now you you, you give people the space to be heard and and that is uh yeah that's life-changing I, mm. I my mother-in-law was a hairdresser I, I reckon listening to her talk hairdressers were the original life coaches right <laughs> yes yes that's what I mean it was like when I stepped into the coaching realm I thought I've been doing this for years for free <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely so yeah. good. uh <laughs> That was awesome, Jessica. Thank you for sharing so openly through the the difficult times and and but also those those beautiful stories of helping people to change. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate you for for having this chat with me. Oh, thank you for having me. It's uh, it's been great to share that value and and spread that that message of positivity for anyone out there. I know that will see this or hear it or whatever. I, I know it's going to land for the right person. It always does. Yeah, awesome. Well said. Thanks so much, Ian. You're welcome. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.